Welcome to Tea Time with Shaylee and Amber, the podcast where we talk about all the shit that your horse wants you to know and what you can do about it. Amber is a horse trainer and a personal results coach, certified in Theta and Semitic Breathwork. Shaylee is an animal communicator who also teaches communication. Both knowledge seekers with the intention of sharing that knowledge and hoping that we can encourage the listeners to do the same. In today's episode, number six, we talk about calling your power back through education and understanding, all the ways we can become better advocates for our equine partners. Secondly, we talk about the horse labeled as not wanting to go forward or lazy and different ways we can look at that. Also, last but not least, we announce the name of our lovely mascot, our squirrel. So if you like this episode, please be sure to share it with your friends. Let's get ready to spill the tea. Hello, welcome to episode six. We're super excited to be talking with you guys again. Um, Just a quick recap, last episode we talked about mindful blanketing and tacking practices and a little bit about your horse's feelings and making sure that you are not invalidating them and a lot of really other juicy stuff. So be sure to check that out if you missed it. Um, Today we are diving right in to calling back your power when it comes to decision making for your horses Um, and in life in general, honestly, like we really give our power away all the time. And Amber and I were just kind of discussing before this episode how we realize that there are a lot of situations that are maybe like out of your control or seemingly out of your control or uncomfortable when, you know, dealing like we all have those like uncomfortable times, like no one wants to confront the farrier, right? If we like feel like there's something going on with our horses, everyone's like, oh no, I can't say any of that. Or like, if you... I feel like I've been there with like vets and trainers too, where they'll say something about my horse. And I'm like, Oh, I don't really know how I feel about that. But then you just kind of were like, well, I'm not the professional. Let me just like keep going and feel super weird, but we'll see what happens. And then later on down the road, you end up learning this big lesson when I think it's important to kind of realize like, we're telling these beings like where to go and what to do. And you're going to eat this food and you're going to do this and that. So like, when you decide to become a horse owner, you've got to kind of realize that you take responsibility for, for everything that happens to them. Yeah, definitely. And I think it's really about you are the one that know your horse the best. So while there are professionals out there that are obviously trained in their specific, you know, areas like the farriers and the you are the one that are with the horse every day. You're the one that knows their personality. You're the one that is connected with them. So it's, it's really about like, how do I speak up and have a voice in a way where that concern can be heard um, instead of disregarded. And if you do have a practitioner or professional that you're using that completely disregards you and your concerns, and then it might be time to look for a different professional, which I know in our area, we're really blessed to have a lot of options. And so when I say that, I say that from a place of, we have a lot of options where I know there's a lot of people that have said, like, we just don't have a choice. Like this is what, you know, we're working with. And so I know that that can be hard, but I think a big piece of it is um, being able to say it in a way where I guess sometimes 
these people don't get offended or defensive. You know what I mean? Where you can be heard. And I know because I was married to a farrier for a long time. <laughs> and they don't like to be told, <laughs> told about their horses and their horses' feet. <laughs> Yeah, I think what's really cool about um, today's world, though, with technology is that there's so many online classes that like empower people like, you know, online hoof classes, online training, you can do live zoom calls with people, um, just a bunch of different resources for the owner to actually learn should they want to. And that's why I think knowledge is so important because even if you're not the one that's like trimming your horse's feet or fitting the tack, the more you know about it, the more you will be able to make an informed decision on, okay, here's the feedback, here's the studies, here's what I'm like hearing from my professional. Am I okay with this? And does this align with what I'm feeling for my horse? Because a lot of times in sessions, I will tell people something about the feet or the tack and they're just like, oh, well, my farrier is taking care of it, or I just switched to a new farrier, so it should be fine. And that is not enough. I say this like without judgment, but that is not enough for you to just be like, oh yeah, I had an issue before and I switched to a different farrier. At, at the very least, just understanding like basic alignment, you know what I mean? Basic like anatomy of the foot or basic information about the saddle so that you can make an informed decision because otherwise your horse is just suffering and it's going to like you know, we always talk about momentum and that momentum is going to catch up. And before you know it, you have kissing spines, you have navicular issues and you're like, huh, wonder how we got here. All of a sudden my horse is like lame. And it's like, nope, if you want to pay attention to the signs before. And I mean, I used to feel that way too, where I felt like I had no other option to like find a better farrier for my horse. And so I did end up learning myself and it brought me down like a really cool educational path and I know that's not realistic for people who have like you know seven eight horses or whatever like it's not realistic for everybody but at least learning about it so that you I think that's that's the missing piece right or that's the biggest piece is in being able to confront those barriers or those vets without offending them because if you've done your research and you have clear information to come with them to them with and not just speculation then it's easier to digest that like confrontation right yeah I think that that piece is really important um <clears throat> like <clears throat> and then when you get into the the trainer piece I you were talking about that in the intro and I was like thinking about like I was not that long. Well, it was actually, now that I think about it, time is weird. It was probably, probably four or five years ago. Um, I have a lot of dressage clients and I have a lot of, I'm, my clients are very diverse and I was like, oh, it'd be fun to take my little, I have a little cow horse, um, smarty to a dressage clinic. And someone had said, oh, there's one over the hill. She's very, um, she's very not hardcore. Like she's, you'll have fun and she's a good mix. It's a good balance of like, you know, it'll be, if you were to go to a dressage clinic, this would be the one. And so I was like, okay. So I take him and, um, and it was interesting because he can do all the things. Right. Um, but once we got in there for our, our time slot, she was having me do, um, like haunches and shoulder for, but there was no, 
in between time where I could just let them down and let them move. And we sort of talked about that before the drilling of the drills. Right. And I could feel him like, like, what are we doing? And I knew that I needed to drop the reins and just let him trot or let him move. Like he just needs a minute. You know what I mean? And, and she was sort of saying, no, no, like keep going. And I was like, in my head, I was like, if I keep going, this horse is going to buck me off because on the outside, he looks so calm, cool and collected, but I could feel what was going on. And he was just like, this is a lot for me. And he was being really good. So the lesson was continuing to stack. And that's when it was like, I actually am going to drop the reins now and let my horse just lope around, which was mind boggling for them. Like you're just going to let your horse canter around, you know, (laughs) on a loose rein. I was like, he needs to just move for a minute, you know? Um, And it actually, I could hear myself telling clients because this is what I say to people all the time in clinics. When you go clinic with other trainers or when you're going to haul out to go work with a different trainer or your own trainer, whatever, like, do not discount what your horse is telling you it needs, no matter who you're in front of. You can do it in a respectful way, but you have to be the one advocating for your horse. And so it was interesting that that was happening to me. And I was very uncomfortable because I was like, I started to get very protective of him. And I was like, I'm actually not going to do that. And, and I think that I'm just going to forgo the rest of my time slot because I continued to tell her what my horse needed and she continued to disregard it. And I was like, I'm not doing this to my horse. I don't care who's here. I don't care if it looks, you know? And so I had never actually been in that position before. And to do that was very, it was very uncomfortable, but I knew in the long run, this foundation I had built with my horse of, you know, me saying, I'm going to pay attention to you. And when you tell me what you need, I'm going to honor that. Then I had committed to that and was not going to divert from that just because I was at a clinic and people were watching. Um, so it is hard, but it's also something that you have to really trust yourself and, you know, know your horse and know that it's okay to like, say, this isn't working for me. I've really enjoyed the time. <laughs> thank you. No, thank you. <laughs> Yeah, that's so important. And I feel like I've been in like so many positions too, where I had the opportunity to stand up for my horse or the way that I was feeling and I didn't. And then that like stacks a bunch of guilt, you know, and then you bring that to your rides or your lessons or whatever. And yeah, it really is a responsibility to do that for them. And I just, um, I'm remembering like a lot, like the very last lesson, my very last like in-person lesson that I ever took, my horse was like, when I got off of him, I was just so frustrated and like, felt like I was going to cry. And I was like, why am I doing this? Like, why did I go through that lesson and like, feel like, get to the point where I'm feeling this way? Like, imagine how my horse felt. And he was literally like, don't ever do that to me again. Like they know odds are like, if you're frustrated, they're frustrated. If you're having fun, they're most likely having fun. Like those, especially like we're sitting on their backs. There's no way that like our emotions are not linked up to their emotions. So yeah, that's cool that you like were able to go through with that because I feel like there are just so many people, myself included, who, which I've gotten a lot better about it, but for the longest time with like that care and barriers and trainers and stuff, I was literally like scared to speak up because I didn't feel like I knew enough, which in hindsight was like 
amazing because now I'm not like, Oh, you're the professional. I'm going to listen to everything that you say, like take everything to heart. It's gold. I don't have an opinion about it. Now I'm like fueled to learn. And I'm like, Oh, is this what you're saying? All right. Let me research that real quick. Let me see how I feel about that. And that is like a, the big piece for people. I think that's what gives you like the, the, strength and like that empowerment to like speak up for your horse because you like know different yeah and I always tell people if a trainer is making you feel a certain way it's most likely exactly how your horse is gonna feel so for people that are like taking their horse to drop them off at a trainer for training I'm always encouraging them go take a lesson if your horse hasn't started yet go ride one of their horses and at the end of the lesson, check in with yourself. Like, how did that, did you feel seen? Did you feel hurt? Did you feel like, you know, like there was a lot of space and grace for the learning process? Um, because ultimately that's what your horse is going to be doing the entire time it's there. And if you feel like shit, horse is probably going to feel like shit after. So it's a really good way to like scope that stuff out. I know people ask that quite a bit. Yeah. And the same with like their feeding program and their care. Like I th think it all has to go together. And I see like horses compromising in certain areas because the person will be like, well, this is the best trainer, but they're getting fed corn and their farrier is not that great, but I really have to bring them here because this is the best trainer. And I'm I just, I don't know. I have a hard time like believing that, that you can't find like the melting pot of things. It's just, you know, and that's where it comes to like listening to others' opinions. Like I know a lot of people read reviews and reviews are great and everything, but like, sure, read the reviews, get information from other people. But then, yeah, like you said, go see it for yourself, learn, you know, see if there's I feel like odds are, and correct me if I'm wrong, because I've only been at like a couple of boarding facilities, but like aren't most places fairly accommodating? I guess some places have like contracted farriers or vets or whatever, but if you were really adamant and you were like, I'll pay your full price. Plus I want to bring my own hay or I, cause I've done that in the past where I brought my own hay or like my own farrier. And every place that I went to was like pretty accommodating with that. Yeah. I feel like uh, when I had my horses at a boarding stable and when I ran boarding stables, <clears throat> Um, I always brought in my extra feed, you know, I would bring in extra bedding. I would, there were times when I knew that the conditions that my horses were in were in these little box stalls in a cinder block barn. I had lesson horses and there was actually an entire pasture that was covered in like thorns and ticks. And it was like pretty gnarly, but it wasn't being, and it wasn't being used. And I like went out there and I went out and I cleared like a bunch of, and then I used that as my, like you adjust, you know what I mean? Like you see where you're working yeah. with, you know, and you, and you make it work, but yeah, most boarding stables, as long as it's not costing them money or space or whatever, they don't care. Like we have boarders that bring in extra hay, you know, we have all the farriers come in, like we're not biased on that stuff. So for the most part, I feel like as long as it's not getting in their way, a safety issue or costing them extra money, then they don't, you know, they're pretty open to whatever. And I guess if that's not the case at your boarding facility where your horse is, then that's where you kind of turn to all these online resources where you're like, okay, I'm not happy with the farrier, but I can't change. And I don't really have the money to move anywhere. 
what if I learn to do it myself or, you know, and that there's a lot of fear, I think with change. And maybe that is what kind of keeps people like I have so many people that are so terrified of pulling their horses out of shoes because they've been told that they have thin soles or they have this and that. And they're like, Nope, I've tried it once two weeks later, they were completely lame, had to put the shoes back on. And, um, it's actually kind of crazy how like so much fear goes. It's like immediately someone thinks about changing something, they have some fear behind it. And so they just decide, Nope, we're just going to keep going until something gets worse or louder. (laughs) Yeah. And I can totally relate to the, all my horses are barefoot right now. And I was married to a farrier for a long time. And so it's, and I have uh, one horse who she has very, she's very flat feet. And so her tendency to go negative um, is pretty, it pretty, happens pretty easily. Right. And then my other horse who has navicular um, and I w- was always told there's no way that horse can go barefoot. You'll destroy his feet. You know, if he's barefoot and he has navicular, it'll, you know, and so my head, it was like, how can I grasp this concept after so much of my life, having it be such a thing, but going through having shoes, then getting divorced and having to go through farriers, which was traumatic all on its own was like, if the shoes are off, the adjustments get made every three weeks now. And I couldn't do that if I had shoes on. And even when I have the composite shoes on, which she goes very sound in, but I have to drive two and a half hours to get there every four weeks. Um, so I've taken a break during the winter to see what happens underneath, you know, the amount of growth of, you know, that happened. That's not stuff you can just clean out and clear and help the foot as it's, you know, adjusting if there's a shoe on. So the barefoot thing is terrifying in the beginning <laughs> because there is an adjustment mm-hmm. for they're not super comfortable. Um, but there are also options for you to make the transition easier. You know what I mean? But that goes back to the educate yourself. Like there's products that you can put on their feet, you know, there's, you know, boots that you can put on, whatever it is to make that transition for the long run for that horse. If it's a right decision for your horse to be barefoot, you know, it, there's ways to make it easier. So to not just give up right off the bat. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And that kind of goes back to what we talked about in last episode too, where humans can kind of get, was it last episode? I think so. Um, where humans can kind of get a little bit laser focused on like, this is what's going on right now. My horse is dead lame because I pulled off the shoes. I can't even see what he's going to look like in five months because the reality of it is he was, and that's the comparison thing. Again, I'm comparing how he was in shoes to how he was now. Was he more sound in shoes? Probably, but was there dysfunction in the feet? Yes. And we can't like discount that. And it's the same with, you know, like saddles and I I do feel like I run into some people who struggle with changing saddles because it's kind of hard to find one that fits your horse and especially English saddles. And so they will like the horse understands that the tree is not correct for them. And then the person will be like, well, what if I put this pad or this or that or this? And I feel like, um, yeah, knowing enough to make those changes and to just come to the realization, like if I'm going to ride this horse or work this horse at the very least, like 
I should know about this and make the appropriate changes, if that makes sense. Yeah, and it goes back to there's so many options for online stuff now to like educate yourself in courses that you can do 15 minutes in the evening. You know what I mean? Um, if you're feeling yeah. like I'm overwhelmed, I don't know what am I supposed to do. You use a little bit of it. It takes a little bit of self discipline, especially if you're working a job and you have kids and all these things, right? But it's like what the responsibility that you took on when you as a horse owner. <laughs> you know, it's. Yeah. You know, what are you exchanging it for? Feeling bad, feeling guilty, feeling like every time you're at the barn, you know, something's off, but you don't know what it is. It's like, you know, there's, there's too many options now to say that I don't know is a valid and why. (laughs) Yeah. Call back that power. (laughs) Um, so Moving in kind of a different direction, um, we had a question that someone had asked. Um, She said, my horse likes to go slow and deliberate, and I don't like to nag him to go forward. The result is that we frequently do a shuffling jog where he's barely moving forward. He chooses to move like this himself, is super responsive to rain aids, and seems happy, but I wonder if it's doing damage to him by not moving correctly and actually using himself. He's very athletic and he can move beautifully when motivated. Is this an instance that I insist that he should move better or should I let him moderate his own body? And I just feel like there are like so many (laughs) directions we could go with that question. But the first being like, what is moving correctly? Like what are we defining as moving correctly and understanding that like the body knows best and it always puts itself where it needs to be based on like the state of its nervous system and their balance. And, um, yeah, it's emotional capacity. And I, what do you have to say about this? I feel like it's that what we talked about earlier, this whole range of it's our own story about what a label means and it will cause us to feel a certain way about it. Right. And so there's a lot of programs out there that, um, you know, will teach you how to have your horse move correctly. When you think about the fact that like horses aren't actually designed for us to ride. So correctly for them is (laughs) however their body wants to move around. And so knowing that they are meant to experience this full range of motion, you know, what is the right way to warm them up? This is something that I always think about, you know, you have the biomechanically correct um, exercises and uh, drills that you do. And then there's these moments in between where it's like us as humans, even when we work out or whatever we do, if you stay like stuck in the same pattern within your body, you know, there's a point where the fatigue kicks in and everything sort of falls apart. So where's the balance of, I want you to move correctly to build up the correct muscles to carry me as a human on your back versus when do you let them just shake it out, move for a minute, clear whatever needs to be cleared you know, where's that balance? And that's something that I'm always thinking about when I work horses, where I go into the round pen in the beginning 
and I call them expression sessions <laughs> because I don't want people to think I go in the round pen, round pen them and try to get inside turns and try to do X, Y, Z, which is totally what I did before, where now I feel like I go into the round pen and I let them, it's almost like I'm just encouraging them to move and clear. And how do you want to move right now? How does your body need to move after being in a stall? You know, you know, what, what part of you needs to shake it out? And before I go, you know, putting my stuff on. So I see a lot of horses that are real sticky in their body just because they're not allowed that conscious time to do that. You know what I mean? It's almost like when people come to me and they're so stiff and they're so tight. Um, and I'm like, what would happen if you just like moved your body a little bit, you know, <laughs> next you know, they're crying and it's like, you know, um, mm-hmm. sometimes that conscious and when I go into the realm and my intention is I'm in hold space for you to express whatever needs to be expressed right now you know, what's clogged up in your body that we can clear before I start putting tack on you. And before I start, and even sometimes after I put the tack on, we sort of talked about that proprioception, you know, once you put the tack on everything changes. Right. Um, I think we talked about that the last episode. Um, Mm -hmm. I think there's this balance, you know, is your horse not moving because it's so stick sticky and stuffed up and clogged up from not being able to express itself you know, and then our own stories about what forward is. Um, so that's sort of my thing that I'm always looking at when I hear someone say, my horse doesn't move forward. It's like, is it so wound tight from just standing in a stall or even my, I mean, we have horses that go out in the pasture all day long. Um, but there's something about inviting that expression differently. And once they're in your space that like triggers other things to come out and usually that will clear so much. And then the forward comes my gelding in particular will come out of his stall and look lame, um, tiny, tiny steps. He's like, beep, 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 you know? Um, and within the first like 10 to 15 steps, I'll kiss. And the next thing I know, he just explodes. Right. And he's like (laughs) kicking, bucking, flailing, you know, and then all of a sudden he coughs two or three times. And then he's moving what most people would consider forward after that it's like everything just needs to be shooken out and cleared and then he's like okay I can move now you know um so that's sort of where my brain goes um when I think about horses that are real like tight and not wanting to to move it's like do they know they're allowed to move because I feel like in our Mm -hmm. training programs that we have there's not a lot of room for self-expression it's like grab the reins put their head down stay on the rail go to a to b and you know it's like do they even think that they're allowed to express and move their and use their full body yeah for sure I feel like that's a really big piece of it too and a lot of times I think um like when I tell my clients your horse needs more variety they will be like oh well I do a liberty session once a week and then I hand walk them once a week and I'm like well that's great like exposing them to different things is a version of variety but like exactly how you're saying like they need that intrinsic movement so that they can get real-time feedback from their nervous system. Otherwise they're just kind of going on past experiences. And like that variety comes within the session. Like if you are just going around and around on a circle and saying that your horse isn't forward, like, yeah, they're totally not exploring all the ranges of motion that their body has so that they can become more forward. 
and I'm that way. Like I do yoga pretty regularly. And every time I start out, I can't touch my toes and I'm like, gosh, damn it. I have to like, you know, switch my body back and forth and do all these things in order to be touching my toes. And there's not, it's not painful, you know, but like some people's bodies are just stiffer. And of course, like the digestive system comes to play feet, all of that stuff. So like, we're not saying to discount pain. Some horses that don't move forward are in very real pain and there is dysfunction in the body, but like, especially for this question, how she's, and she's actually a client of mine that I talk to really regularly. Her horse is not a super painful horse. Um, but I think it's important. Yeah. Just to like, understand how we're labeling it. And then, and then like, what our nervous system is doing and what like the rider's body is doing and proprioception. Um, like most of us can't close our eyes and stand on one leg for more than 30 seconds and be balanced and then swap over to the other one. And our horses are master compensators for that. Like they totally, there's a reason why, like, you know, you see a rider with like a right dropped shoulder and then the horse is like going around motorcycling to the right and with a dropped shoulder. So that's where like, you know, again, the responsibility piece of like, what is my body? How much do I know about my body in the current moment? Am I stiff and asking my horse to go forward from like that leggy position or is my whole body? Like, I feel like when you're asking your horse to go forward and they're all legs, like how you described more often than not, that person probably is using all of their leg and their spur or whatever whip to get them going versus like focusing on the energy that's running through the core. And that's something that I struggle with too, is like understanding that I have to maintain tension in my abdomen or like integrity in my abdomen while still being able to breathe while still being able to be fluid. Like that is a difficult thing. <laughs> yeah. And it's that it's the elasticity, right? It's like that rubber band where there's just enough tension and just enough movement to where everything you know, can stay together and, um, but not be rigid. And, um, I think so much of it comes from this, these, um, unconscious, I would say the unconscious is the body is the unconscious minds, right? So, you know, what story do you have as a writer about what forward is, you know, is, is there a story that at some point your body learned it wasn't necessarily safe? Was there an incident that things went too fast and got out of control? And, that's when you realize, oh, I'm getting all locked up and my entire, you know, um, my entire midsection is in protective mode, in survival. And so your, your, your body's doing this automatically, which I think we talked about before. So it's great because it's an energy saver, right? Your brain doesn't want to have to think about every single time you do something. So a lot of this is memorized and held in your body. And you get on and then your trainer's like, go forward, more leg, more leg. And it's your body's going, please don't go forward. And your legs are kicking and you're whipping and, you know, and the horse is like, you are full throttle on the gas pedal with the e-brake on at the same time. So what do you want from me? <laughs> and they're so, like mm -hmm. I said, so much grace being used by them when we're out there trying to like get a hold of our own bodies. Um, and putting expectations on them that we ourselves, the things we can't even do. You know what I mean? Like, can you hold a plank for 15 minutes while, you know, rubbing your head and like jumping on one leg? I don't know. But like, 
oh, are the things that we're asking of our horse, are they prepared, you know, physically to do what we're asking? Are they getting fatigued? And are we calling that, oh, they're fighting with us? You know what I mean? Um, so I think the importance of keeping that in your mind, is my horse physically fit and prepared enough to do what I'm asking it to do? Or is there the possibility that maybe they're tired and they need a freaking break? Like, <laughs> can, we, mm-hmm. can we think about how it is for us and what we need when we work out or when we need, when we're doing stuff like this and remembering what it feels like to be so tired. And like, I cannot, I absolutely cannot do another setup. Ma'am, <laughs> Wyla, my trainer. <laughs> You know, it's like, I can't, like I whine and I complain and I, <laughs> but like, that's yeah. what they're through. And then we're labeling it as, oh, they're being stubborn or, or they're X, Y, Z. And it's like, are they though? Like, are we sure? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think too, just re- like remembering that some horses who are a little bit slower moving are literally just careful horses. Like I have little slow movers that are like, I'm very aware of where everyone is and where everything is. And I'm very careful and I'm really proud of my footwork and like quote, lazy horses tell me that all the time that they're not sluggish, that they're just trying to be like mindful and thoughtful and careful of like everything that's around them, especially because yeah, their person is, is oftentimes like not super balanced and they're just kind of like, okay, how do I juggle this and take care of you? (laughs) So thank you guys for hanging out with us today. So to wrap up, we want to invite you to look for anything in your life where you might be giving your power away, whether it's with your horse or in your own personal life, your own health, Um, and maybe set aside 10 or 15 minutes to do a little bit of research on it and see how you feel after, you know, there's so many resources out there, educate yourself, you know, a little bit more on it. Um, and find out if there's something that there you have not looked at yet within that, um, and set the intention before you start researching it to find the either video or article that is going to serve you for your best and highest good first, and then just type in your question and see what comes up and then trust the guidance that you get within that article or that video or whatever it is. And, um, let us know how, if in any way that that, um, what came of that for you? Do you want to talk about nutmeg or do you want me to say it? <laughs> well, it was a very close, well, not really. Okay. We basically already knew what we were going to call him if we're being real. Um, because his name was nutmeg from the start and we're super excited about it. Um, if you follow our Instagram or Facebook, we will be having nut notes from nutmeg with your two favorite nuts um every week after every episode where it's kind of like a fun inspirational groundwork for everybody and we would super love to hear your thoughts on all of that so stay tuned for the one this week bye